I'm Helena Zaludova, and today you're going to hear my story on San Francisco people. I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to San Francisco People. Helena Zaludova is here today, and we're going to talk about the San Francisco real estate market. Now, I moved here back in the spring of 2009. And of course, I needed a place to live. So I started looking at apartments and it was a pretty easy process. I got on Craigslist, found about 10 to 15 that I was interested in, scheduled an appointment, um, came and looked at them. And really, when I talked to the person that was showing me um, all these places, I got the feeling that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. Uh, They wanted me to, uh, to move into this apartment. And uh, I could have had really any of the 10 to 15 that I wanted if I was willing to pay the price. There just wasn't a whole lot of competition there. And so I ultimately picked a, uh, a one-bedroom apartment in the marina. It was about uh, 850 square feet. I had a view out my window of the Golden Gate Bridge and the Palace of Fine Arts. And for that, I paid about $1,900 a month. And so, I mean, that was, uh, you know, um, a lot more expensive than what I was used to paying based on other places I, as a, based on other places that I had lived before. But, uh, it was a really simple and easy process to find an apartment, not a big deal. And then near the end of 2009, I decided I wanted to, uh, go ahead and buy a place. So I started looking for condos, uh, similar type of deal. I, uh, started going to a bunch of open houses. Uh, probably looked at 20 to 25 places in the span of a couple months. And uh, same thing. I felt like if I was willing to pay, um, I could have had any of those places that I liked. There just wasn't a whole lot of competition there. And I ended up getting a condo in Pack Heights. Uh, there was no competing buyers driving up the cost. I submitted an offer for around twenty grand below the list price. Ended up closing for about 10 grand below list price. Um, and again, it was, uh, it was an expensive check to write, but the process itself was easy. Uh, the, there just really wasn't a whole lot of competition. Um, but wow, things have changed a lot in five years. The housing market, the real estate market in San Francisco is a lot different right now. It's always been one of the most expensive places to live um, in the United States. But a lot of new studies coming out are showing it as the most expensive place to live in the United States. So let's look at some numbers behind that. The average rent right now for an apartment is $3,400 a month. And even if you're willing to pay that, you're not guaranteed to get it if you find an apartment that you like. There's tremendous competition to get apartments. And so, I mean, you may have to uh, look at five to 10 places before you can even get the one you want, even if you're willing to pay that money. The median price um, for condo sales in San Francisco right now, $950,000. And they're going for 104% of the list price. Median price for a house right now in San Francisco, $1.1 million. And they're going for 110% of the list price. What can you get? For $1 million in San Francisco, well, you're looking at about 
1,250 square feet. So much, much lower square feet in San Francisco for your money than you can get at a lot of other places across the U.S. In fact, across most places in the U.S. So why is all this happening? Um, well, fortunately for us today, we have Helena Zaladova here to help us understand it and to uh, really dive into the San Francisco real estate market. Now, I met Helena about five years ago. I was actually dating one of her close friends, and a big group of us went to see a concert, a Pearl Jam concert in Golden Gate Park during the uh, Outside Lands Festival. And uh, it was a great night, one of those really rare, uh, warm, clear, fogless nights in August. And uh, we saw an unbelievable show. And I've stayed in touch with Helena over the years. And uh, she was already a, a great agent when I met her. But in the years since, she's really grown to one of the top real estate agents in all of San Francisco. You know, based on her 2013 sales, she's one of the top 40 agents in San Francisco. That puts her in the top 2% of all agents. There's uh, 2,000 to 2,500 agents out there across San Francisco. She's in the top 40. She closed 18 real estate transactions last year, valued at $35 million. That includes a near $10 million sale in Pack Heights. So yeah, go ahead, do some math, calculate that commission in your head. That's exactly what I did when she told me about those sales. And then over her 10-year career, she's closed on over $200 million in real estate in San Francisco. So she's a significant player in the real estate market game here. She's a great person to uh, give us some insight. And so what does she say is driving the real estate market right now? Well, it's all about the housing supply and demand balance. Demand is off the charts because there's literally more employed residents in San Francisco than any time in our history. And with San Francisco's small land, air, land area of seven by seven miles and an already high population density, supply is gonna be tight. So Helena's gonna walk us through her path to becoming, becoming one of the top agents in the city, give more details on what's driving the market and whether you should consider buying right now. And for those people that are interested in buying, She's gonna give you some tips on how to get started. Helena lives in the Portland neighborhood. She's gonna tell us about some of her favorite spots there and what else she loves about living in San Francisco. Let's go talk to Helena. Hello. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. I'm. Uh, if I needed any more proof on how hot the San Francisco real estate market is, uh, I got it. Just trying to schedule one hour of Helena's time. You're busy out there, aren't you? It has been busy. Yeah? It's been wonderful. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was reading on your website some of your metrics um, on how well you're doing and uh, the millions and millions of dollars of your transactions. It's gonna be a top good, forty agent. It's gonna be in the a city. very good. It's gonna be a very good year. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was really happy to hear that, and we're gonna get to that. Thank you. In a second, but first I want to talk about your background a little bit. Okay. So where are you from? I am from the Czech Republic. Where we're at in? Well, grew up in Prague. Um, I was actually born in the old Czechoslovakia, and I went through the whole um, change of government when, and even 
changing Czechoslovakia back to Czech Republic and Slovakia. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you when that was going on? I was actually 20. I was already here when okay. the country split, but I was only 16, I think. Yeah, about 16 when um, the Velvet Revolution happened. Mm-hmm. And that was very fun. That was fun. That was fun. When oh. you're 16, you know, you think you know you, you know everything and you want to do everything and experience everything firsthand. And you're a student. You're out there, you know, where the mass is shaking your keys, yeah. you know, telling the communists to go away. It was very exciting. You don't yeah. think about any repercussions. And it kind of seems normal, maybe, growing up It was very that. exciting, yeah. you know, to see your country go from a totalitarian government to, you know, what evolved to be a really great democracy. Right. It was very exciting. Did you know? Did you notice your life change after that happened, or was it so gradual that no, yeah? it changed overnight? Yeah. Um, How so? You know, I am a super lucky person. So I got the benefits of growing up under communist regime as a child, which allowed for a lot of great perks. You have incredible hair care, healthcare. You have preventative everything. You have incredible education system, and it's all free. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I was getting older and things were starting to matter, your choices were starting to matter a lot more, the, the, the door to the West had opened and I actually ended up getting a scholarship not too long after to come here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as far as timing that you have no control over, I am one of the luckiest people you'll ever meet for right. that. Right. So what kind of scholarship did you get? Oh, to come here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I'm, I actually, I'm... A professionally trained musician I went to the conservatory of music in Prague okay and there was a wonderful gentleman who had, his name was Norman Smith lived down in Louisiana and knew my agent at the time and he arranged for four scholarships um, to come to a small college in Lake Charles Louisiana for four musicians from the conservatory and I was one of them oh wow yeah I didn't realize that you know I lived in Louisiana for a long time oh you don't remember that yeah Oh, no. I, had we talked about that? We had. Yeah, because I was in Baton Rouge, which is, I think, maybe two hours away from That's Lake Charles. That's right, yeah. yeah. Lake Charles. I used to have a Czech-slash-Louisiana accent. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but that threw some people for a loop. <laughs> um, yeah, I think everything I heard there for the first few months threw me for a loop. Yeah. Because the English I spoke, I only learned it about 10 months before coming here. Yeah, yeah. I didn't take it, we didn't, you know, it wasn't part of my curriculum. Right. So the scholarship was offered and then there was a test to pass. So I studied and studied and studied and studied and passed, but that didn't really mean yeah. <laughs> I knew the language that well. So was that at 18? Uh, I got the scholarship at 18 and I came when I was 19. Okay. Just turned 19. And so did you get your undergrad then in you Lake know, Charles? You know, I didn't. So I, the degree I have from Prague is actually a six-year degree that okay. I didn't know this when I was coming here. Yeah. You have to kind of back, this is the early 90s. This is pre-internet. Okay. And this is so shortly after the government has changed that there were no publications about the U.S. I mm-hmm. mean, and the only frame of reference I had were the few movies that would be shown mm-hmm. on TV, which are shot in New York, L.A., or the Wild West. Yeah. There is no, maybe Chicago. There is no mention of like the South or the Midwest. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, had no idea uh-huh. what I was getting myself into. And so then when you came, you thought America was Louisiana. I was really, really surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Did you eat uh, 
boiled crawfish. I ate everything. Yeah. I think I gained like 20 pounds the first year <laughs> I got here. Yeah. Because they, there's they, a lot of good food down there for oh sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I had this um, meal, t- like my scholarship included food. Yeah. And you just had this card and you had this cafeteria. Yeah. With, you know, hush puppies in the morning and crawfish etouffee. Mm-hmm. I ate everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, you know, there's no sidewalks. It's really hot and humid. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you were probably used to living somewhere that was very walkable. I mean, Not Prague. driving around. Prague. And uh, grew- then you moved to, like, drive everywhere. Dr- yeah. And you had I had no... I lived on campus, so... Yeah. There was no... No... There was such a big life change. Yeah, yeah. But it was fine. Okay. I survived. But anyway, back to the degree. I got a six-year degree in Prague. And then when I got here, I didn't know your school system. So I was an undergraduate and it took me a couple years to figure out that I could actually take my degree from Prague and go to grad school. Okay. So I did. Okay. And um, you went to grad school. I know you went to Northwestern, right? That's right. right. How did that happen? Yeah. How did that happen? I auditioned um, for the Chicago Symphony and they have a special program where if you succeed in getting the scholarship, you can go to one of the local schools Mm -hmm. while continuing to play for them okay so i did and what did you play i played viola viola mm-hmm. it's a little bit bigger violin yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. did you think about did you think you might have a career in music in music is that what you wanted to do long term you know interestingly enough i didn't this was something that my parents insisted i do as a kid and it was something i was incredibly good at and but I was never passionate about it. Yeah. I would always do what was required and more. I would always wanted to be successful at whatever I set out to do, but it was never love for me. Yeah. Music was a bit of a hardship, actually. Yeah. So when I realized, but it was a path. It was a beautiful path to, you know, experiencing things and, and travel back then. And I thought I might have a career maybe in music and administration later. Mm-hmm. But when I got here and realized how incredibly hard a musician's life here is it just wasn't worth it right um so when i went to grad school i was on a music scholarship but i actually went to business school at the same time okay you know still play uh i wouldn't say i play i dabble yeah you know with a string instrument it's not like you know with, with the piano or even a guitar it's very um it's very hard to sound good after putting it down for a few days. Yeah. And if you put it down for a few years, it's the ear is still where it used to be and the hands aren't. So yeah. it's torturous. Do you perform anymore? No. Ever? Not at all. No. Even just for fun? No. No random concerts for your friends? Nope. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right. Mm. And did you also, um, you did some acting when you were younger, right? I was a child actor. You were a child actor? Like how old of a child actor? You know, I got picked up in kindergarten for an audition. Oh, wow. For a role. And the audition was really... F- I still remember it. it in a long, we stood in a long line with my mom and came to a table. There was a lady sitting in a chair and she asked me... She had a piece of paper and she said, I have... Now imagine that this is spinach and, and you don't like spinach. What are you going to do? And I just threw a proper fit. Yeah. I Star remember. was born. Star was... I got a really <laughs> good major role. And um, a couple of others afterwards. And But, you know, it was one of those things... Um, 
I was only six when I took the first role, and this is before you know how to read. So it's yeah. very hard to memorize scripts. Um, Filmed in the, in Prague. In Prague, they still play it. Actually, they still it's play a drama. It. Mm -hmm. So could people look it up yes, right now? Yes, you can look at my IMBD profile. Actually. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> that movie. I was shows looking for up. a good movie to see tonight. Uh huh. <laughs> but um, it was really hard when you're trying to go to school your first grade second grade and, yeah. and be always on movie set so i actually told my parents i didn't want to do it anymore and they were good they yeah how long did you do it a couple of years okay how many movies just two just two 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 big ones um and then some smaller roles and then i did um over a voiceover okay for, for a while when i was older yeah all right so then um uh, let's go back to you're in chicago What'd you do next? Um, I moved to San Francisco. You to San Francisco? Mm -hmm. How come? And I got a well, I met somebody in business school, and he was here. And okay. this, you know, I came to visit a few times, and thought this was just the most wonderful city. Yeah. You know, I came on a day. I think it was in the, either in the spring or in the fall, and you're on that trolley going down High Street, and you see the ocean. Yeah. You know, the bay, and you just think, oh my God, this is definitely a great place to be, even if this relationship doesn't work out. So guess what? Yeah. He's long gone. I'm still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean about the nice day. The first weekend I ever came here, it was cloudy. The, the sun never came out. Mm -hmm. And I still thought it was beautiful. Like, we went down to Chrissy Field, checked with the Golden Gate Bridge. But my friends, uh, Robbie and Lacey, who were hosting us, especially Robbie, I could tell he was, he was really bummed that it wasn't sunny. Like for us, he right, was right, like, right. "Yeah, you know, this is great, but you have no idea what it's yeah. like." And I'm like, "I'm like, this is beautiful. What are you talking about?" Uh -huh. And the next weekend I came, it was a day like today, and uh, it blew my mind. Like, well, I couldn't believe how much even more beautiful it was. Like yep. on a sunny, nice day with like the blue water and just it just highlights yeah. all the great things about the city. Yeah, so it no. could be easy to fall in love with this place when you first come here. No, that's it's, for sure. It's incredible. So I did. Um, so what year was that that you came? Uh, 98. 98? Okay. 98. And what did you do once you got here? My first job was not much of anything. I was, uh, gosh. I, what did I do? I was a receptionist. I, went, I got a job at the temp firm while I looked for a real job. And it had to, the real job had to um, match the criteria to match my visa. So it had to do with it had to do with music and business, and I actually found a job running a music festival. Oh, called Midsummer Mozart. Mm -hmm. Midsummer's Mozart. Midsummer Mozart Festival. Midsummer Mozart. Where was the, that at? It's in San Francisco. Okay. I'm not sure that they're still performing because the artistic director George Cleave. It's getting old. He was getting older. Um, I'm pretty sure they're still around, but I ran it for five years, and yeah. I was the executive director. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was and they actually, would put on different shows, to they, different theaters throughout the city. They played at the Legion of Honor, and I set up a series in Sonoma, San Jose, and Berkeley. And the concerts we would do two or three programs, and they would run um, for about a month and a half. But I did all the fundraising, negotiations with the union, marketing, everything. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. Ticket sales. Ticket sales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you liked it. I liked it. But you didn't it. want to do it long term? How'd well, you get into you know, the, I liked it fine, but it was a non-for-profit. I was very young, and the, yeah. probably the reason I got hired was because they, you know, they knew my visa situation, which was perfectly right. fine, but they could afford me. 
they, I wasn't paid very well. So I found, you know, my parents coach gymnastics. So I was kind of looking for a different way to supplement my income. So mm-hmm. I went and got a personal trainer's license because that okay. was something, you know, I was comfortable in the gym. I was quite fit and yeah. I grew up around people sort of coaching. So I got a personal training license and I would train two hours before the Mozart job, like from six to eight or six thirty to eight thirty. I would go to Metzema Mozart and then I would take um, maybe two clients afterwards. And one of those clients, and I did that for about three years and built a really good business, mm-hmm. doubled my income on a few hours a week. But one of the clients um, is my now um, the the person who started Paragon. Okay. So like her. your mentor, so to speak. Well, she's my boss. She's your boss. Okay. <laughs> well, boss. She's my managing broker. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so that takes us to 2003. Mm-hmm. She's starting Paragon. She's starting Paragon with four, um, four other partners. Um, she was at Pacific Union, and Pacific Union got bought by a big conglomerate, um, GMAC. And I was also getting married. So she knew I was getting a green card. And, and she was starting a company in... She said, "You, I, I got to give it a go." Yeah. And so, how was it at first? Was it tough? It seems like a tough business to get rolling on. You know, I'll say it again. It, I, it was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like when you first came. When I first came to to America, it's different. It's difficult. It's new, but at the same time, it's very. You know, it's a new challenge. You always yeah. learn about yourself and other things. It's exciting as well. Mm-hmm. So, it was a difficult. Um, I didn't, you know, I was lucky. I was newly married. Um, I did live in Menlo Park, so I commuted to the city every day, six days a week, sometimes six yeah. and a half, put a lot of miles in the car. But, it, you know, it's a, it was exciting. Yeah. And I did a, a handful of deals my first year, so. How, yeah, many, how many? A handful. Okay. Yeah. That's I did good. every open house. I cold called. I answered calls that came to Paragon. And I got, you know. Couple, lucky a couple times. I sent letters to a building for someone, and somebody actually responded and sold a unit to to my client. It was amazing. Yeah. So you know, yeah, I got it. I got the taste, and I got the bug, and that was yeah. all over it. Do you remember any big moments early on? I do. I remember getting my first paycheck. I remember getting my first ten thousand dollar paycheck on that. You know, it was great. I remember. I st- I'm still friends with some of my first clients. Yeah. You know, they become part of your. I wouldn't say family, but you know, you, you follow, like you become friends, you've become friendly, you keep in touch for 10 years. Right. I remember when I sold my first two, um, $2 million building in my second year, I started this new tradition of buying closing shoes and those agents there, I ran across them a few couple months ago and they asked me, do you still get closing shoes? <laughs> I said, yes, I have a quite collection, quite the collection. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Uh-huh. And now, now you're huge. Huge how? You're, well, <laughs> <laughs> so last night I got on your website. You have an awesome website, by the way. Oh, thank you. I mean, seriously, anybody out there looking for, um, a great web- website to like showcase their business, showcase like showcase the services like somebody oh, can provide. You. Yours is awesome. So thank kudos you. to you on that, and then whoever you. helped you put that together. I um, I will give full credit to my assistant Laura White. Yeah. And Intersect Marketing. That was her. 
that was uh, on top of her priorities to do for me this year, and she did an amazing job. So thank yeah. you, Laura White. Go. Okay. Yeah. So here's some of the. I'm gonna quote you some of the stats uh-huh. that I saw on there. Um, you're one of the top 40 agents in San Francisco, per the broker metrics from MLS sales. Correct. So how many, how many agents are in San Francisco? Um, over 2,000, about 2,500 licensees. Yeah. So that's a pretty exclusive company right there. Thank you. Um, in 2013, I, I love the chart you had on, um, I guess what's typical like transaction values for different types of agents and. <clears throat> The average San Francisco agent generates five million mm-hmm. in transactions in 2013. The top 10 percent of agents uh, generated 12 million. Hmm. How many? Did you, how much did you do last year? 35. 35 million. Yes. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. How's and then it said you've done 180 million in your uh, decade of being an agent. Actually, 180. So we were well over 200 now. Okay. So 2014 (laughs) has continued to be a good year. Yes. Yeah. Great year. So that's great. Thank you. What's What's the biggest sale you've ever had? Can you say? I can. Um, Actually, not too far from you. Really? 2151 Green Street. Oh wow, that's one block away. Yeah. Yes, one one block away, and um, that was last year, and that house was listed for 9.5 million. And we got what we were asking for. Wow, I'm trying to I'm trying to manually calculate that commission in my head. That's that's, that's, pay, pretty that's good. people's favorite <laughs> hobby. <laughs> people ask yeah, me do you, all I the bet time. you get that question all the time. Like, I do, and I deflect. <laughs> that, do people ask you like what commission you get, and then they start? You can tell in their mind they're starting to do some manual calculations Absolutely. and add things up. <laughs> you know, people get very good at percentages. Yeah. All right. So I've always. Going back to your website, I've always liked your uh, your tagline there. Oh, the always, always on. <laughs> so what what does that mean? And maybe talk about what you think has made you so successful as an agent. Oh, thank you. Um, I love this business. You know, the spark that that I was missing in music, as odd as it sounds, I actually have it um, for real estate. And I think when when you love something, you don't mind the long hours, you don't mind challenges, you don't, you just kind of roll with it. And it's very rewarding, not just financially, but very rewarding on a personal level and a professional mm-hmm. level. There's no, there's no ceiling. You know, if you if you really, if you are, if you set out to be good and you you give it everything, it comes back to you. At mm-hmm. least it has to me to some degree. So I just love it. I love. Um, Working with sellers, I like working with builders, I like working with buyers, I like looking at houses, I like, you know, look, thinking about marketing. It's it's exciting to me. Yeah. So I think if you love something, then you are willing to sacrifice and do more than other people because you don't mind and you don't complain and I think that pays off. Yeah, I would think that you get to see people like very excited a lot. I mean, it's that a big or, deal to buy your first property, and you know, you you get to see them in all states. You, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, that too. But at the end, too. hopefully, it's happy. Yeah, you know, yes. Um, luckily enough, yes. But you you have to be able to handle them incredibly stressed out and dealing with buyer remorse, buyer's remorse. You know, somewhere any somewhere between deciding on a property and actually moving into it, there's this point where 
somebody just goes, holy crap, what did I just do? Or mm -hmm. you have to be ready for that. And you have to be ready for different personalities on the other side of the deal, be it agents or their clients or people, you know, circumstances you have no control over. Yeah. You kind of have to roll with it. Right. But it's, well, yeah, you get to, you actually, at the end of the day, get to make a difference. And one of the fun things about working with developers is, um, you know, they're building a home, they're building a product and they ask for feedback a lot of times. Yeah. And you, you actually get to make a difference in the physical product. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to do things like put some, put a living wall somewhere where there wasn't going to be one you mm -hmm. suggested, or you get to make a room feel a certain way because you say, Oh, you know, maybe some wallpaper here would make all the difference. And it does. And yeah, you know, it's, it's a very creative, it can be a creative process. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what tips would you give to somebody who's trying to get started in the business? And how they can uh, get successful as soon as possible. I would. So, so real estate is challenging because when you, you go straight into sales, it's a um, hundred percent commission-based business. Based business. So you just have to be financially ready to go without a paycheck. Sometimes for months on yeah. end, and at the same time, it can take. It can take a few months. Sometimes it can take a full year before you actually close your first deal. Yeah. Um, and before you do that first deal, you really don't have any experience. There's no such thing as, as learning how to put it, you know, re learning real estate in real estate school. You get your license, but you have to get to know the agents, the properties, mm -hmm. the nuances. The, you you got to develop a feel for the market and then be comfortable enough to handle other people's fears. And they that takes a while. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that can that you have to be ready for is to just be financially responsible. That's the f number one thing. So you know, I was married when I first started, and and I had you know emotional support, and I didn't have to worry about rent. Right. And that made it easier. Yeah. You know, if I were a single gal starting today, that would be um, more difficult. Okay. Um. So that's advice number one and advice num you know that's kind of the bottom line but past that try absolutely everything you yeah. know there there are things there agents who will say well mail marketing doesn't work for me or you don't need a website and you don't need to take the calls on the you know that come into the company i tried everything i still keep trying new new things you mm -hmm. will find a way that works for you i mm -hmm. did every open house i could possibly get um just do try everything. Just pour yourself into it and see what <laughs> shakes out. Literally, yeah. You know, you will get that first deal done somehow. And once you have the first handful behind you, it will get easier and it will keep getting better. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this: in the in the decade you've been doing real estate here in here in the city, mm -hmm. um, if you could give like a big picture summary mm -hmm. of how the market has changed in those ten years. Like what's been some of the highlights and lowlights? What would you say? Here's what I think. Um, and this is my, just the personal research, personal conversations I've had um, with people about real estate over the last 10 years. And, you know, when I first started, it was an up market. Then, in, you know, five years ago, it was a huge market correction, which, you know, didn't touch San Francisco as badly as the rest of the country. Um, and now we're in a, you know, growth market again. 
but never during this these 10 years and i've been asking people as old as you know 70 and years old who've been in this market for a long time own property there's really never a time where sam at least from what i hear there was never a time where san francisco felt cheap to anyone you know yeah. you look back 20 30 years and somebody says oh i bought this for a couple hundred grand in pacific heights well at that time that was not Nor that was not a cheap price. Yeah. Everybody who has ever bought property here has at one point felt like they were taking a huge leap, paying a huge price that didn't make sense. And you've saw, you know, I saw it back in the um, early 2000s. And when there was a market correction, I didn't see a huge influx of premium inventory. Mm -hmm. What happens here is people just don't sell. So the market is very, very tight, no matter what market conditions are out there. If you've bought something a few years ago and you don't have, you know, I call it the four, one of the 40s. Um, the reason people sell here is I should coin this terms 40s. Yeah. Divorce, death, development, and debt. Okay. That's the only reason people sell here. Yeah. Um, new job, possibly, but people, more people move to San Francisco than move from San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so you've owned a property for years, the market's not great, and you don't have a big impetus to move, um, to sell your home, you're just going to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't wait. If you want to live here, if you want to um, sort of set roots here, just bite the bullet and yeah, do it. There's never going to be a time when that, it's there's an, it, You know, when there's a darn market, then you, you, you have a fear that it's going to go much lower before. You, you, it's very hard for you to time the bottom. Yeah you're not a professional like not even a professional can time the market that perfectly yeah it will never feel easy just do it yeah yeah i can and i can speak to that i mean <laughs> when i got my place it was in the down market and you were fearful. it was in 2009 right mm -hmm. but i mean it was still um it was still tough to sign that check right right but I, I'd say the benefit, though, maybe one thing I was able to do that a lot of people can't is I actually got my place for under the list price, Those you know, and, yes. and now it's, you know, you look at the list price and you have, you have to kind of strategize how much over that Absolutely. I'm going to submit an offer for, you know, the, and that's tough. That, that, that's, that's a tough pill for me to swallow, I think. Right. Well, it would be. Would be. Well, it was. I got my house. I had to write three offers because I kept, I kept underbidding so yeah. much. <laughs> But you know, I was, I was, it was at the tail end of the down market. So, right. You know, I got lucky. They finally took my offer. Yeah. <laughs> but I can relate. You know, and it's very hard to get into San Francisco market, no matter what the market conditions are. Right. So I love the reports that you send out. Thank you. I get these monthly and quarterly reports on just how the market is doing with so much data <laughs> and charts. And uh, I love reading through them. So I just wanted to maybe go through a few of those and ask you some of the highlights, some of the things that I picked out. Okay. Um, you sent a, a demographics report mm -hmm. um, this week. Yeah. And um, there are a few of the things I thought that was interesting. There's uh, a chart in there showing what you could get for a million dollars in different <laughs> counties, like how much square foot you could get uh -huh. in different counties. Yeah. Um, and in San Francisco... Uh, 1,250 square feet um, for a million dollars. Average asking rent mm -hmm. in the city was, is $3,400 right. right now. Yep. And when you go to the next county mm -hmm. in the Bay Area, it's almost $1,000 lower. 
That's right. San Mateo at 2600 I didn't realize San Mateo was so expensive to live in, but I consistently saw that as this, like the, seemed to be the sec- second most expensive market in the Bay Area behind San Francisco County. For rentals, it actually, For, I think San Mateo County, if you uh, do Palo Alto, um, Woodside, et cetera, that's some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Right. Um, it's, if there's a question in there, it's, um, it's all about supply and demand. Yeah. San Francisco has almost 35,000 more people than it did a um, couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Well, they all have to live somewhere. Right. Um, people who are lucky enough to have an apartment that has rent control, they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's a shortage. There's a shortage of rental apartments and there's a shortage of um, things to buy because San Francisco is built out. And the right. only place you can go is up. Right. And you have very strict building codes and everybody thinks that they have a say of what their neighbor is going to do with their house. So it's very difficult to build anything. Um, so if you have more people who want to be here than property you know, property for them to use or live in, then you have a supply-demand problem. Mm-hmm. That's then also fueled by the fact that to borrow money is relatively inexpensive. You know, interest right. rates are back down to under 4%. Yeah. That will hedge inflation in no time. Right. So, you know, those are some very healthy fundamentals to why is it so expensive to be here, mm-hmm. to buy here yeah, and rent here. Right. You're competing. Right. Um, it also said 37% of San Franciscans own versus the U.S. average of 66%. That seems like one of the things that makes San Francisco unique versus the rest of the country. I mean, mo- there's more rent- a lot more renters here yes, than owners, yes, right? yes. Um, partly because the entry to the market, the bar is so high. Yeah. Um, partly because you have rent control. And then the, uh, your latest quarterly real estate market report. Mm-hmm. Um, it said that, uh, September had the most listings come on the market in the last two years. Mm-hmm. So it's just continuing to, is that, is that your sense that the market is just continuing to pick up and pick up? Well, it has, goes back to when I told you, um, where the market is down, people don't sell. Yeah. Now that you know it's out in the, and now that the news media has come, um, has caught up with our situation, like people have more confidence. Sellers have more confidence that they will get the price they're looking for. Yeah. So, yeah, they they will, you know, they're more likely to sell, and there's still plenty of buyers. So it's a, you know, it gives sellers more impetus to actually move even if they didn't have death or divorce yeah, yeah. you know you have a lot of people who are now who could wait who were waiting to downsize yeah. had a couple they were retired their kids already lived in east bay but they ha- hung on to the house for an extra couple of years and you know we had we had they sold a couple of years ago they would have probably left about three four hundred thousand dollars on the table mm-hmm. but they didn't have to sell they waited and so i think right. that's the spike in inventory that you're seeing and also in our market um Fall is typically when we do have most inventory anyway. Okay. After the holidays, people come back from um, from vacations and they're they're ready to deal with it before the end right, of the before year. Before the holidays, mm-hmm. yeah. So where are the where are the neighborhoods in the city you'd say are the hottest right now? Mm. Hottest there. I think the whole city is actually well balanced. I say I saw a huge run in appreciation in the Richmond and the mm. Sunset 
this mm. year. Uh, you know, people were used to be able to find homes under a million. You can't touch anything under 1.5. Yeah. Um, some of the southern neighborhoods, um, like the Portal uh, Mission Terrace, um, are seeing big gains and in prices. They're not as familiar. They, they, those are the areas where you can still get a home under a million with a yeah. little yard. Um, the dock patch. I mean, people, you know, has been dis. I would I wouldn't say discovered. It's been there for a while, but yeah. Um, it is people have gotten more comfortable with it as the UCSF campus has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know the mission. Gosh, that was voted the most popular neighborhood or hottest neighborhood last year, and it still continues to be the, the case. But yeah. I think the whole city is just benefiting overall. Um, but I would give I would give the biggest growth just from my personal experience um, to the Richmond Sunset and dock patch portal and and um mission terrace okay mm-hmm. so in these emails mm-hmm. there's lots of charts lots of data in there yeah. but if you had to let's say you went like overseas for a while mm-hmm. and you weren't in touch with the market mm-hmm. and and you came back and in like a very short time frame you wanted to just look at some metrics to help you get a, a quick understanding of how the market was doing. Mm-hmm. Like what's the top, I don't know, three or four like fundamentals or metrics that you would look that you would look at to give you a, a good sense of how the, the market is going? As a professional, I would look at days on market before something goes into contract. Yeah. Meaning, you know, you bring a property that seems to be priced well for let's say the size location, like you know, the price per square foot metrics combined with days on market, how quickly that moves, those are your two indicators about how well the market's doing. If you know, if you, if you average day on market, days on market before going to contract is two weeks up to three weeks, that's a very fast mm-hmm. um, turnaround that, that tells you there's a lot of demand and not enough supply. Right. So then you can also look at, you know, over under, I can run a metric of, of over asking, under pricing. You know how how where do where do these property land compare to um, yeah. their asking price? Okay. So price per square price per square foot days on market are the two big ones. And and what are over those? under? Okay. Uh, what is the percentage of over under or at asking? Okay. And what do those say about now? Like if you had if somebody asked you, hey Helena, how's the how's the market doing now? How would you describe San Francisco's market right now? I would say competitive but healthy. Okay. So properties move relatively quickly. If they're well-priced for the location and type of property, you're very likely to find more than one buyer, which then creates pressure on the price. Or, you know, that will, typic- that will typically yield to a fairly fast and good result within, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I do think it's the, the underlying fundamentals are healthy because lenders require you to have um, you know substantial down payment good credit so the people who are getting into the market are not looking at it as a speculative pro- uh, speculative scenario they really just want to set some roots or get a, you know good investment they, instead of renting they would just rather own something um, and with 35,000 people ex- extra 35,000 people in the city they're looking for someone to live so yeah. You know, we just can't build fast enough. Do you think it's a good time to buy right now? If you had a friend that came to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about buying. Is this... I would. Yeah. I would. 
I don't think it's a bad time to buy. Yeah. Of course, you know, hindsight's 20, hindsight is 2020. You should have bought two years ago. Well, yeah. everybody knows that now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hear a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of my friends say, yeah, I, w- I would love to buy, but I just, don't see they don't even consider it as a possibility, mm-hmm. you know, living here. And uh, do, do you think they're giving up too easy? It's very hard. Um, you know, I went through it when yeah. I bought my house a couple of years ago. I was single, and you know, to come up with a down payment, even for you know, let's say five hundred fifty thousand, that means you have to have hundred and twenty some thousand dollars mm-hmm. on hand cash after taxes, right? To put down and part with that, you you know, they're not sitting there safely. That you know, you have an emergency. You just have to. Put that into your house, and that's very hard to do. Um, you know, if you if it's a couple, that makes it a little bit easier. Maybe you double the price point. So, if you can get to the down payment, then it m- makes all the sense in the world. But you have to be disciplined and get to the down payment. You know, a lot of people have the advantage. You know, they have wonderful parents, and they will help. Or they've got a signing bonus. They join the company. If you mm-hmm. choose to keep take that bonus and put it down towards your you know your home then i think it's doable you know borrowing half a million dollars is basically what you pay that at those rates is going to come out to what you would pay in rent for a one bedroom right right it's more of a risk or you have to kind of feel committed that you're going to be here long enough you know this is where you want to set your roots this is where you want to raise a family or this is at least where you want to come back to if you have to go somewhere that's the main thing san francisco is very transient you know, there are a lot of new people that come here and they're not, they're not going to buy within the first year or two because they don't know if this is for them long term. And yeah. I can see that. So for people that do have the down payment. Yeah. And uh, they're ready to enter the market. Right. And what are the steps? Like, what are the what will be your tips for them on how they can like, what's the first few steps they should take on their journey? Figure out Besides how much, calling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they call me, then I'll tell them to call, um, you know, figure out how much you can really afford. Yeah. Go and get pre-approved. Figure out, you know, don't look out way out. You know, it's very easy to love a $5 million home or $10 million home. Of course, you're going to love everything you look at. Go figure out if, even without an agent, go see an open house, a few open houses and figure out if there's anything you would like in your general price range. That's what you, you know, and I will, I can help you with that. That's one of my first tasks is basically talk to people and I can suss it out without sometimes even think, going to see a house. If you tell me you want three bedrooms with a view and two bathrooms and two car parking and a big yard and you want to be on a north end of town and you want to pay a million dollars and that's no, I was going to say, I was trying to add that up in my right. head. I was like, yeah, that's going to be That's a, a non-starter, right? Yeah. So, so if, you know, Figure out if you have realistic expectations, figure out what you can afford, and then get a really good agent to get it for you. Right. Those those would be my first three steps. Okay. And also, the other one, and most people don't do this, get to know the city. Leave your bubble wherever you landed. You love it now. You think it's the best place in the world for you. You couldn't imagine living in another neighborhood. But the moment you move, Three to six months later, you're going to feel exactly the same about where you've landed. So go around and get to know the city, the neighborhoods you've never heard of, the neighborhoods you've never visited. You don't have any friends living there. If you want to buy a house, 
go explore because that 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 may be your key to um to to getting yeah. something within your price range neighborhood you would never consider you before. would never consider yeah go consider it yeah that's good advice mm-hmm. that's really good advice so speaking of neighborhoods <laughs> what neighborhood do you live in oh i live in the portola even the portola mm-hmm. okay. that's one hill south what's well, south of bernal heights okay and what do you like about that neighborhood? It's sunny. It's sunny? And it's... Almost all the time? Almost all the time. It's sunny. It's very family-friendly. There are a lot of, couple of great schools. It has... Um, it has... What we, I call it the main drag. It has, a, you know, central streets where you can go get your groceries. Yeah. And your, your, what your is the main run. drag in that neighborhood? It's called San Bruno Avenue between Silver and Paul. Okay. Um, it has... It's... It's bordering the second largest park in San Francisco, McLaren Park. So I love that, you know, you can go for a long 45-minute walk. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's quiet, but I'm okay with quiet, mm-hmm. <laughs> like quiet. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, my experience as, as a city person is, you know, I have a good urban experience. I can run my errands on foot. I can, you know, it's relatively flat, actually, so you can... You know, you can have a city experience and feel like you're in a little bit of a pocket. Mm-hmm. But I love the weather. You know, the the um, transportation there is not not super easy, but I drive for my job all the time, so I don't mind. But you can take a bus downtown from there. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's some of your favorite spots? In the portal? In your hood, yeah. McLaren Park. Um, I, on San Bruno Avenue, I have two. There is, um, there's four barrel coffee, actually. So, you know, it's great spot to just pop your head and get a good croissant cup of coffee yeah you know the new breakfast at tiffany's brunch place just reopened totally awesome um great mexican market la loma uh best tacos and you know butcher also you can get great meat for for my backyard grill so Mm -hmm. it's it's a good spot yeah, I need to explore. That, that's a neighborhood I've never explored. <laughs> You've probably never even heard you of know? it. No, I've heard of it. Uh-huh. Um, I know a few people that live there. I know it's a place you can get like reasonable, like single family yeah. homes. Yeah. Um, but it's never a place. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I, I like to take these like walks around the city, and it's never a neighborhood I've just walked to or, or like gone and had dinner at night. Mm-hmm. Anything mm-hmm. like that. It's not a big dinner destination right now. Yeah. We're good for lunch and brunch. Dinner's next. <laughs> okay. Um, for dinner, I go. We go to Glen Park and Bernal Heights, and down to Bayview as also. Okay, those are all walkable. Walkable, from Portola? yeah. Okay. Mm, we drive, but yeah, they are. So I would imagine um, you know the city really well. Every neighborhood, every nook and cranny. If you from if you real estate. if you spend some time on my really spend some time on my website, which I think you did. Yeah. The, I am not kidding. I can up navigate. A GPS in rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I died too. Yeah. So what's some of your other favorite neighborhoods or spots in the city? Any other, like, any uh, hidden gems that maybe a lot of people don't know about? Um, depends on what you like. You know, if you want views and nice weather. Corona Heights is beautiful. You know, the, the, the between 17th street under kind of under over you know above the Bose triangle next to the castro it's a little pocket that it has nice weather great views and for you know i think the homes there are some of them are beautiful yeah and not that overly expensive you know it's not as walkable as some other ones because it's hilly and it's above the castro but 
you know, I think that's one little hidden gem. Um, the sunset actually has its little pockets, um, right, you know, close to the beach. I can, you know, I never thought I would appreciate the beach because I yeah. don't love the fog, but I can see it. Yeah. I can outer, actually. Like where Outerlands is? Yeah. Is you I, know, I like, like that restaurant. Outerlands and um, over by, at the end of Geary, um, that's the Outer Richmond, um, Sutro Heights. Okay. Oh, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. You know. Quiet, but you know that this is the stage of life. Yeah, I think I'm there's in. some. I think I've been out there. There's some stairs you can t- you can take up to the top of this park that's way up there, and there's like these mosaic tile Golden stairs. Golden Gate Heights. That's in Golden Gate yeah. Heights. You that's know, a really beautiful view. It's a beautiful view, and it's a beautiful area. It's right above the sunset um, and West Portal. It gets a little foggy up there, but the transportation from there is great, and it's a really you know you get some great views from that hill from mm-hmm. those hills too. So, yeah, there, you know, get to know the city. There's so many ways to appreciate different spots. Yeah. You know, and, and your life changes. You don't, you know, right now, you know, I remember I wanted to be in the middle of everything and see everyone. And it was also important to have, you know, everybody, everything at my front door. And it doesn't matter anymore. You know, I realized it was time to go when I when I realized I hadn't been to Fillmore Street when I lived on, you know, in Pack Heights, that I haven't been to Fillmore Street for two months and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go get my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter yeah. anymore. You got over it. Mm-hmm. You lived in Pack Heights for quite a while, didn't you? I did, you? yeah. What's, your, what's some of your favorite spots in that neighborhood? Oh, gosh, all of Fillmore Street. Um, I love Alta Plaza Park. I like the way... Um, there's I, What's not to like in Pack There's some yeah. beautiful homes just to oogle at. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I love walking around that neighborhood. Oh gosh, who I play tennis at Alta Plaza Park, and uh-huh. it's like such a great view from the top. Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, I, I can totally substantiate the prices people pay there. Yeah. Okay, so mm. I, I ask everybody this question. Mm. Let's say you had to move away from the city, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you spend your last day, in San Francisco? What's your perfect San Francisco day before you had to move away? You know, I would see, I would try to see all my friends in the spots that we hang out in. So I would see, you know, I would see my friend Ivana somewhere downtown. I would see my friend Prathesia, you know, getting a tea. I would, I would, I would do the things that I do with the people that I love here, um, the way we do them before I go, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. With each friend, you have like your usual spot or your typical spot or different neighborhood that you go to. Right. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for being on the show, Helena. Thank you. I really appreciate you. I know you're busy. I, <laughs> I appreciate you taking time out to come chat with it's us. It's my pleasure. I, I, I'm honored that you think I'm that interesting, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I moved to San Francisco, I lived in Louisiana, and the cost of living, the cost of housing there is very, very reasonable. And on my last day of work, I sent an email out to all of my colleagues and friends that I had worked with for the last 10 years, you know, thanking for the memories and just letting them know that I accepted a new job and I was moving to San Francisco. And I got all kinds of emails back. Congratulations. Best of luck. You know, stay in touch. And a lot of them ended the same way as well. They always said something like, you know, I love San Francisco. 
I visited there a few years ago. It's a great place, but it's so expensive. And I got that over and over again. But then I got an email from my boss, Tim, who was a very wise man. And he started off the same way that a lot of the other emails had. You know, congratulations, best of luck, Frank. But then he said, I love San Francisco. It's my wife and I's favorite city. It's expensive, but sometimes you get what you pay for. And I think he said it best right there. Yep, it's expensive here, but it's an unbelievable place to live, and I'd gladly pay more if I had to. Thanks to Helena for being a great guest on the show. You should really check out her website, www.helena7x7.com. From her website, you can access her latest monthly and quarterly real estate market reports. I'd really encourage you to check those out. They have so much useful information, data, and charts that explain how the market's doing um, at any given time. If you want to see them, receive them regularly, just email her. I'm sure she'd be happy to add you to her distribution list. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, do me a favor and search for San Francisco People Podcast on iTunes, and then leave a review and a rating. That will really help us get the show out to more listeners. You should also follow the show on Twitter. It's at SF People Podcast. And if you have an idea for a future show or you want to send me any feedback, send me an email. It's frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. We'll be back in a few weeks. For San Francisco People, I'm Frank Garza. Frank Garza.